You're listening to the Look Right Naked podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bach. This is the podcast for men and women who want to look right naked without living in the gym. If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hey, what's going on? Eric Bach here with the Look Right Naked podcast. And today I'm excited to cover no BS fat loss advice with my man, R.M. Gregorian. We are going to break it down. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, we did an epic podcast with you. What was that? Two weeks ago? No, two months ago already. Yeah, like two, wow, yeah, it's just hard to believe, man. And uh, you consistently put out some of the best, most practical and usable advice that I see on the fitness industry. Let's break down your story a little bit. Let's get into it. And let's uh, let's talk about some no BS fat loss advice that we can take and provide a little bit more context behind this world of quick action steps and information that does not have context that leaves a lot of people confused and overwhelmed with how to look, feel, and perform their best. First and foremost, man, like how did you get involved in the fitness industry? Insecurity like everybody else. <laughs> no doubt. We all have a little body dysmorphia, right? I remember your story being a small kid on the football team. I had kind of a similar story because I was the kid in high school who was trying to get female attention but couldn't. And all the football guys were the guys that were jacked. They were cool. They had all the attention. And I'm like, cool, let me go join the football team, even though I've never played or even I know what the hell football is. But I got to lift with the team. And that was really cool because the strength coach on our football team was actually a badass. He was like a three-time MVP for the UConn Huskies uh, as a defensive end. Just a really smart guy, crazy out of his gourd. Like he would bring chainsaws into the locker room and cut shit in half before games. Like he he kind of reminded me of Latimer from the program. Yeah. If you remember that movie. And that's just how his energy was. But he was not a demeaning coach. He wouldn't bring you down. He would lift you up, but he was aggressive. Like he would make us like run the rack to do shrugs at the end of a workout and just like shrug until you drop to your knees type of thing. You know, 5 a.m. workouts with the 100 degree heat in the uh, in the weight room with the heat on in the middle of the summer. Like that's just the kind of guy he was. So he just built this grit and I fell in love with it that, that year. Like that, I was 15 years old. I'm like, this is amazing. I feel empowered. I feel confident. And then it just all came from there. I went into finance for a few years. I was doing this Wolf of Wall Street thing for a while, but you know, my love for substances and my love for not working was more important than my love for making money and and being a better finance employee. So that ended up getting me laid off. And then I went to go work for Equinox. I got certified by NASM to get my CPT. And that was really when things started professionally taking off. But then I realized that like training people in person and training people online or working with people online was such a different experience because in person, you only have their ear for so many hours a week. And there's really not a ton of accountability and not a ton of feedback. Whereas with the, with the online coaching space, you have somebody's ear for almost every day if you wanted it to be. So the influence that you have on somebody, the connection you have, the rapport, the involvement, the participation is just so much higher. So the results are just better. I moved to California. I went 100% remote. I mean, I'm like, I, I should say 98% remote. I, I just had a client in my house here. It's been, uh, it's been an interesting water ride. And I think what I've noticed over the years is that the good coaches all start to kind of mush together because we all respect one another and want to collaborate with each other because we're trying to drown out the bullshit noise that all of our clients are getting. And I think I always consider it like breaking it down into two pieces. It's like the influencer space and then the educator space. So like I consider like guys like you, guys like Jason Brown, other people in the space to be educators versus like people who are just like repping clothing brands or repping supplement <laughs> brands to just be influencers who just have a lot of followers. They might look great, but they're not putting out any practical advice and they're not really helping their end user. And uh, we, we just see too much of that. So I'm trying to make sure that we start showcasing more of the educators. 
Definitely. I think that's such an important perspective. And you highlighted or you mentioned a couple things that really stood out, beginning with your personal journey and how influential an early coach can be in terms of setting up those structures. Your initial desire was, hey, I want to get Jack so I can get with chicks. Cool. Many guys can relate to that. That's always a, a good benefit, being able to track somebody, right? But when we think about it, how much did that initial coach influence you? They showed you grit. They showed you the discipline. They showed you the determination, these different factors that you have to be able to develop, you know, regardless of your love for substances and Wall Street. Like, I'm, I'm sure that grit served you when it came to developing your education and actually getting into that financial aspect for a long period of time, because the skills that you learn in the gym, they transcend beyond physical. They bleed over into every other area of your life. Is that something that you've really kind of reflected back on and seen? Yeah, I mean, I can't agree. With you more, it's just uh, everybody that I see who's a, a successful at anything has gone through some level of shit. Whether it's the loss of people in their lives, the loss of relationships, the loss of money, like something has happened to these individuals along the way that created a level of resilience to stress that other people just don't have. I mean, I work with very general population clients, and this is not to pick on any of them or call them out, but a lot of times the little slightest little resistance or bump in the road, and they just completely emotionally and physically shut down. Whereas for me, I never had that option. Like I, I a very early age, I learned what it was like to not complain. I learned what it was like to just get the work done that it was assigned to me. And I just was very task oriented because that's how I was raised. I didn't have parents that were at home all day. I had two parents that worked three jobs apiece. And I would get rides by a friend's parents to wherever I had to go. I was waking up at 5 a.m. to go to the football field to do track work and then go to work all day at a farm and, and during the summertime. So like, I never had time to be bored and I never had time to complain. So I think the reason why we see a lot of people failing, it's because they bite off more than they can chew and they never really build any of these coping mechanisms into place to become resilient to stress because stress is going to be here for the rest of our life. Whether it's work stress, kids stress, the stress of wanting to lose weight, the weight of the emotional world on your shoulders. If you don't have some type of way to be able to deal with it in a productive manner, you're going to become a victim to every single problem you have. And that's not a way that I ever want to live. And that's not a way that I want to teach people how to live. Definitely. You know, I think we live in a society right now where we have a wealth of options and opportunities. There's always a different way to try to do something where if one thing doesn't work, rather than persevere and, and fight through it, the general option is to abandon ship and try something new. And especially in the lens of health and fitness, what I see is I see so many people collecting information, a ton of surface level information. People are more educated in terms of tips, tricks, methods than ever before. But very rarely is there the wisdom on how to apply it. Very rarely is there the grit to persevere through some of the bullshit. Again, that's kind of a society-wide issue and just the way that we have so much access to information and technology. But I think there's something beautiful in having to trudge through some bullshit. You don't really have an option of what you have to do except for the work. Yeah. And through the work, you're going to learn so much about the process that's going to serve you now and serve you later. So I think, you know, there's there's a lot of incredible lessons that come from having to, to face some of those battles. Like you mentioned, so many people will go through a lot of bullshit to get where they are now. And beyond the fact that it's an incredible story, it's that it prepares them to be able to handle a lot of different things. Yeah, I have no expectation of ever of anything ever being easy. You know what I mean? Like I think like that's why for me is fitness and nutrition always came so simply because I never expected it to be grandiose or be immediate. But I think the reality with social media and modern media is people are being sold this idea that this is supposed to happen quickly. You know, it's like fat loss is gonna occur in six weeks and you're gonna build this body that you've always wanted in eight or 12 weeks on a challenge or you're gonna walk into this fitness class and walk out just being completely a different person. When in reality, I mean, we 
understand the adaptive properties of the human physiology. It takes a very long time to build muscle and it takes a very long time to, to lose fat, especially depending on where you're starting from. I think people are getting led, misled by the wrong messages. I think they're being caught during their vulnerable and desperate times and they're being sold during these vulnerable times. All these shiny things, these bulletproof this is the way tactic, it just ignores the fact that human psychology does not allow for that level of rigor indefinitely because yeah, anything will work, right? We could put somebody on a, on a 500 calorie diet and they'll lose weight. I mean, it's fucking impossible not to. Like you're starving yourself. No doubt, like, yeah. That's why like Mike Dola said it best. I don't know if you know, <clears throat> do you know Mike or no? Yeah, I know Mike. Yeah, so Mike was talking about this the other day. He's like, how is it that starving children all across the world are skinny, but Mrs. Jones in modern America who's eating 500 calories, quote unquote, is not losing an ounce of fat. We clearly are having a misrepresentation of calorie consumption. If a deficit works, it's just a matter of how long can you survive the deficit for, and do you understand how to strategically exit and enter into it in a way that's not going to harm your body? And that's what we have to. That's the application part that you were speaking about. Yeah, and that's that's the difficult part, as you mentioned, right? The application. You know, I was actually just reviewing this and reviewing some dialogues with clients, and the average person when they're tracking their calories is off by twenty to forty percent. And so that 20, 40% is significant. I mean, Huge. that could easily be, you know, I mean, we're talking a couple hundred calories a day, which could be as much as 3000 plus calories over the course of a week. And when you factor in something else, such as I was also creating some content on this, but exercise trackers and people simplify things and look directly at caloric expenditure, the average tracker in terms of caloric expenditure, whether it's your Apple watch or Fitbit is off by 27%. One of the brands in the study that I saw being off by as much as 93%. And so we have this combination of people making fat loss reductionist approach where it's just about burning more calories and trying to eat less, but the numbers are dramatically skewed off of what they are. And we can dig into some of that aspects because I know you and I are in alignment regarding chasing calorie burn as far as a goal of exercise, but it creates a very confusing environment. The calories in calories out approach is obviously crucial. It is the king. We need to apply context to that. Right. And so you mentioned entering and exiting kind of a fat loss stage. Right. And so what would you say then in perspective of let's use, you know, Miss Jones in America who's eating 500 calories. Right. Like, let's say that this person's been yo-yo dieting. Like, what is your approach if you have somebody that comes to you directly? They've been yo-yo dieting up and down. They think they haven't been eating. They've been chasing calorie burn when it comes to exercise. Like, what's your first step? I want to audit what they're actually doing. Like, I don't trust anybody. Like, I've been in this business for too long. Like, I got to see the numbers. I want a video of what it looks like when you track food because I want to be able to watch you do all of it because I just, I don't trust you. I'm sorry. Like, I just don't. And once I see that and I can verify that you do not understand how to track correctly, good. Track correctly for two weeks. Everything. Everything that gets into your mouth that has a calorie, let's see what it looks like. And then after two weeks, we can at least understand how much is going in, especially over two weekends, right? Because it's where do the problems occur? They're not occurring Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The problems start Thursday through Sunday. That's when the that's when the amusement park opens. You know, that's when the turkey legs are coming in. That's when the that's when the funnel cakes are being eaten. That's when all Man. the fun stuff happens. Because everybody's been restricting. <laughs> Because it's it's the same cycle, Eric. It's 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 I'm so good Monday through Wednesday that I'm and good means I'm just eating nothing. And then I'm just so stressed out from being so good that I then open up the waters to eat everything Thursday through Sunday, and then I feel like such shit about myself that I start all over again on Monday. So nobody's really in a deficit. I mean, I don't want to say nobody, because there are people that are strategically doing diets. Yeah. But, but most you're right. average Americans aren't really actually dieting. They're lowering calories arbitrarily from where they were, maybe, there's this psychological disconnect between understanding how to actually fuel themselves under low calorie situations, because you can be full and not eat a lot, 
right? Yeah. There's the difference between nutrient density and calorie density. Like if I eat 500 calories worth of blueberries and chicken breast, it's going to be much more filling than if I eat 500 calories worth of Pringles. Yes, we understand that the McDonald's diet works. We've seen it happen multiple times, but that's not going to leave you satiated. It's going to have very poor levels of fiber. You're not going to have good bowel motility. You're not going to have good energy or mood. So the decision-making process starts to become degraded. So everybody that's dieting not under supervision of somebody like you and I is taking their best guess and their best guess is based on conjecture and bullshit that they see on Instagram. Yeah. And one thing that ties into what you're saying right there is really easy to dramatically overconsume Pringles, Moscow mules, all that shit that people Stacey's are putting down on the chips. weekends. Oh Stacey's my God. Pizza. Those are I mean, my chocolate those chip are ice cream, man. I can but literally so. eat Stacy's pita chips until the fingers hit the bottom of the bag and then I'll punch through it. <laughs> You'll punch through it, and then you'll Instacart some more of that shit. That's what's going to happen. Oh, GoPuff, GoPuff. Yeah. You guys have GoPuff in North and where you live? We don't. We don't, but we'll check it you out. You will soon enough. It's another app that's that's out that basically delivers food to high people. I love it. <laughs> I don't know, man. We're in South Carolina. It might take a while for that legalization to hit here. True. Anyway, that's why we travel. Anyway. <laughs> no, I mean, these are all great points, though, because the foods that people really like to enjoy and tend to overeat on the weekends, dramatically higher in terms of calories with low nutrient density. And so people upregulate all these different hunger signals directly in their body as well. And we just get stuck in this really vicious binge, crash, binge, crash cycle. And it's very easy to overdo your calories over the course of time with a bench really easy well, and most people don't have the muscle mass or the years of caloric consumption that you and i have to be able to justify these overages you know obviously we understand that muscle liver and brain is where we store glycogen most people are going to over consume carbs and fats usually it'll be nobody's over consuming protein yeah <laughs> we don't have a protein overfeeding problem in america so you know, when we ascertain where Mrs. Jones is after two weeks, we have to look at where she is from a body count perspective. Is she mostly fat or is she mostly muscle? If she's mostly muscle and she's relatively lean, she's going to be a case of optimization. She's going to be somebody who we want to understand how to get there to get her to train more efficiently, probably reduce the cardiovascular load that she probably is putting on herself, have her build a little bit more tissue, have her move better, slower with more intention, have her start to slowly regulate calories back up and then control the consumption by putting nutrients dense foods into her plan on a three or four or five meal a day cadence so she's feeling satisfied and then the opposite side of that coin is the person who's over fat and under muscle that person really i mean what is fat fat is stored energy how do you get stored energy off expend energy and just eat enough to be able to not be full but you know, i think we're so afraid of this idea of being hungry but like the human body is okay with being hungry. It's, we have safety mechanisms in place to where you will not die. I promise you that. Like you're never going to be within, you're not within five feet of a fridge at some point in your life. You're going to be okay. <laughs> There's literally so, a fridge right there. <laughs> especially in your office but like exactly i think we're being told because there's this you know now there's there's the, there's the disordered eating community right which i have to respect and we have to respect the psychological implications of people who have eating disorders and body dysmorphia and i don't want to invalidate that but very bluntly put if you're a fat person you don't need to reverse diet you don't need more calories like you have an abundance of calories sitting around waiting for you to for them to be used you just haven't spent enough time actually utilizing them. And then nobody can survive a diet for indefinite amounts of weeks, right? Like you have to be, at some point psychologically, you're just going to be like, shit, I want something. And then when you become so food focused and crazed, that's when the disorders start to build up. So you, this is why nutritional periodization and being able to cycle in and out of essentially maintenance calories or even upper range diets versus very low calorie diets. I don't see a problem. I used to be very dogmatic against dieting. Yeah. 
And I've changed my tune over the years because clearly they work. You just have to deploy them properly. Yeah, I want to dig into that, actually, as you say that, because one thing that I see a lot that has been driving me up a fucking wall has been anything that's not intuitive eating, people automatically coin as a fad diet, right? And of course, there are things that are fad based. But it's not so much that any one particular diet is a fad. It's that you're probably just following people who are way too dogmatic in their approach about said diet. Like if somebody has carnivore in their profile, you probably don't want to take dietary advice that's going to be balanced in that individual, right? And so like the way that I look at any nutritional protocol, whether it's high fat, low fat, high carb, low carb, something like a whole 30, something like an intermittent fasting approach. Like all of these approaches can have a time and have a place, Absolutely. right? They're all tools with skilled coaches, like a mechanic, a mechanic doesn't have one size wrench when they're working on a car. They have a host of different tools that they know how to use and when to apply them. And so the problem is people are consuming content and information and they're seeing all these different tools. And they're like, that is the one tool that's going to apply to me forever. Instead of yeah. being like, how can I actually understand how to use each of these tools during a particular time for a particular role? And well, there's where I think there's a huge disconnect. Yeah. Th this is interesting. So you just mentioned that. I remember seeing this this morning. So it's a study by the Harvard University, 2021 carnivore diet study. Findings from, 20, from 2029 participants over six months on a carnivore diet. Average weight loss, 20 pounds, 100% off of, di of diabetics came off of injectable medications. 92% of diabetics came off insulin completely. 84% of diabetics came off all oral medications. CRP inflammatory markers decreased significantly. 90% improved all diseases. Wow. That's, that's the finding. Now, yeah. context. Our best friend is context. Where the fuck did these people start? I don't care that you deployed a carnivore diet and then did a study on it. I want to know the comprehensive history and the body composition and the lifestyle of each one of these individuals before I look at this and say the carnivore diet is magic. And this is what pisses me off because somebody yeah. will post this on their story and then this is going to circulate around and everybody that looks at this is going to only see the positives and not realize any of the negatives of any of this because they have no context behind this study. And this is what like that drives you crazy. It drives me crazy because anybody can cherry pick evidence and make it look good. There's an entire platform of an individual who's made a fucking living off of it. And we don't have to name names, but I know you know I'm talking about. Yeah. And this is this is the problem because evidence is everywhere. And science it literally is the art of disproving what you thought. So like all these people who are like pissed off at like all the CDC and all the researchers about COVID vaccines, it's like, well, why the fuck do you guys say that? It's like, well, we don't know. We literally didn't know. Like we're trying it, we're figuring shit out. That's what nutrition science is. Like what we know in practice today, they won't research for 10 years. Anecdote to me is powerful and we don't use it enough because there's so many charlatans that are hiding behind PubMed articles that are yelling at people that are saying, don't do this or don't do that because it reduces your risk of this, this, and this. Yeah, in what population? If you were sitting on the couch eating Pringles your whole fucking life, of course, if you went carnivore, you're going to have all your health markers improve. Why wouldn't they? Exactly. That's the shit. No, like that is what drives me nuts. So it's like, you know, this comes back a little bit to the coaches versus the influencer kind of perspective. And it's like anybody can go on PubMed. Anybody can get a mass research review. Every, anyone can get a nutritional research review and then look at a study and then highlight the study and read what it says. Like you see a lot of, I'm not even going to say coaches, people in the fitness industry do that and build their business on it. And then therefore they're evidence-based. You can look and you can find another study that completely contradicts everything that's in that study. 
exactly. like every study has a contrary study. And so I'm not saying that to say that science is bullshit, but like without a layer and a lens of who exactly you're looking at, what their past is and how it's applied, it doesn't matter. Like the vast majority of studies that are used are like college age males, like 11 of them. Like, I know about like college age males, but like when I was in college, I was living on vodka, mac and cheese and like the cheapest chicken breast I could find at Walmart. <laughs> you know, so like, how's that for a test subject? It's not going to be the same as Miss Jones. Not. No, because Miss Jones is not going to subject herself to a 12-week protein overfeeding study. She can. So yeah. it's just, it's ludicrous. And then like the extrapolations that people make from a conclusionary standpoint, it's like, well, this said this in this population, so we're just going to apply it blankly to everybody else. I think that there's a lot of great coaches out there right now that are doing this work anyway, helping hundreds of people a week. Why are we not taking their data? Like, I wish that there was a place for you and I, because we have mountains of data. Right. Like I have, yeah. I have sheets upon sheets in Google right now that I could submit to an authority and have them run through it all. And they can start to make correlations and causations from it. But there's nothing like that because that would make too much sense. That's not going to sell any products. That's just going to keep selling processes that we know work. And that's not sexy. You know what? That's what these uh, online training platforms should actually do because they can synthesize a lot of data. Anyway. Trainer, I was holler at me right now. Give me a little uh, <laughs> trademark on that. <laughs> All right, man. So, hey, you had a post last week, and I, I want to go over this because I think this is really crucial. And you said, if you want to be really lean, you probably won't be as strong. If you want to be really strong, you probably won't be as lean. The way you train and fuel for aesthetics is different than performance. And it doesn't mean that there isn't some crossover, but understanding that it's much harder when you're asking for both. And before we jump in here, like what I want to highlight, like my background is as an athlete and as a strength coach and a performance coach. So much of what I did for years was based on moving weight fast, moving heavy weight, trying to make it feel light. Please elaborate the difference on what it's like to train for performance and aesthetics. And then let's kind of talk about strong and lean like what sacrifices will people make when it comes to fat loss in terms of performance the easiest way to look at it is just to look at the, the sports in general right so look at your strength sports look at your speed sports look at your endurance sports and then look at your aesthetic sports everybody looks a little bit different like power athletes guys well let's talk about power lifting which is the extreme of power of, of, of strength training you don't see a ton of great body comp there Usually, unless you're Marius Pujanowski and have been thrown out of the fucking games a thousand times because you get popped for PEDs every single time. <laughs> you shouldn't be 4% body fat while also being the strongest man on earth. Um, and this was happening with like Ed Co Eddie Cohn and, and uh, it was happening with Hafthor Bjornsson. They were big, big men lifting big, big weights, but they weren't particularly lean people yeah. because that's not their goal. Their goal is not to be the leanest guy in the room. It's to be the strongest person on the planet. I think who did a really nice job of explaining this to me when I was first starting out was um, the NCI course that I took. It was Nutrition Coaching Institute. It was Jason Phillips. Yeah. He called it the triangle of awareness, which basically just meant that you can never be at any one point. You can't be at multiple points of a triangle. You can only be at one point at a time. So you have performance, you have aesthetics, and you have longevity. You could be in the middle and have a little bit of all of it, but if you want more of one thing, you're going to pull away from something else to get it. Look at a bodybuilder. They're the best at building physiques. What do most of our clients want? Physiques. Most of our clients don't care about squatting more weight with a the barbell. They don't really Correct. care about bench pressing more weight. Not that I want to discourage them from using barbells and free weights, but they have to understand that when you're training in a bodybuilding style fashion, you're going to be a little bit more glycolytic, meaning you're going to be able to use carbs more. What do people like to overeat a lot of? Carbs. So yeah. wouldn't it make sense to create local fatigue to the muscle tissue that you're trying to work and build that demand for carbs versus doing something that's systemically fatiguing like a CrossFit, like a powerlifting, where there's really no specific muscle group doing the work. It's just all the muscles congruently working together to accomplish the task. 
Yes, you'll build strength. Yes, you'll build speed and power. But is that really what you want? And those activities require a lot more calories. And then maybe we could be a little bit more flexible with carbs and fats because they just care about calories in total because they don't care about body comp. Body comp is going to be driven more by the differential between carbs, fats, and proteins and how they're deployed. So that's why we have to understand these differences and how these energy systems differ from one another so that we can properly apply nutrition to that training program. That's so crucial, man. Like I see this all the time. And what I talk about you know, with my clients is we actually draw a triangle and we, we actually talk about training, nutrition, and lifestyle on three sides rather than three points. But what we need is like, we need all three of these to be in alignment for you to be moving in the right direction within that triangle, right? And so what happens so many times, people will, again, there's nothing wrong with any one of these dietary st styles in a vacuum. There's nothing wrong with any type of training in a vacuum. But if, if there's a physiological miss alignment in the way that you're fueling your body and the way that you're training, you're not going to get superior results in any one of these areas. In fact, it might actually set you back. It might be more stressful because your body can't recover. And so this is where a lot of people now have a lot of knowledge. I mean, I talked to two people today who have kinesiology backgrounds who are registered nurses who end up, you know, joining our coaching program. And they're both like, hey, I know what to do. I used to be a personal trainer. I had my CSCS or list of other, other certifications, but I'm just not getting the results that I should. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. And in both cases, like there is a misalignment between what their goal actually is, their style of training and the way that they're fueling their body and actually emphasizing the recovery. And so that's the missing element for so many people on top of the accountability to actually navigate that environment that holds them back. Yeah, I mean, you put that so eloquently though. It's, it's like you have to have that alignment between them and within that triangle, where do you really want to be? Because you can't be the best in all areas. The ones who try to be the best in all areas generally struggle to reach any one of them. <laughs> That's the worst part. And then I think there's also an evolution that occurs when you start getting into this stuff because you start realizing that what you once thought was where you wanted to go shapes and shifts throughout the relationship of you doing it. And that that playfulness, I think, is also something that I think is really encouraging and empowering. Like, I, I'll be very honest with your listeners. I don't enjoy my training anymore, to be honest with you. Like I used to be very playful with my training. I was relatively lean. I was at a point where I was, you know, I was in my late twenties. Anything worked, you know. I mean, hormonally, yeah. I was in a good place. And I can go in and I can CrossFit. I felt fine. I looked decent. I can go in and I could bodybuild for a couple of weeks and I looked fine and looked felt decent. But now that my body has gone through so many different stimuli and so many different types of stimulus that now I have to be more focused. That's the other thing that people, that lay folks need to understand. When you first start, anything works. When you start to graduate out of anything works, it's now like something has to be more specific because what people don't realize about exercise, and I, I categorize human movement as movement, which is just walking and moving about your day. Then you have exercise, which is I'm going and exercising with not a lot of focus or a bunch of a plan. And then there's training, which is I know exactly what I'm trying to accomplish and this is how it's structured. So exercise is great for your general public just to get cardiovascular risk down, maybe build some strength, maybe see some muscle. But at some point, your body gets really efficient at it. Not that we care about calorie burn, but you actually start burning less calories per session because your body gets better at it. You like turn into a hybrid car. That's why right? everyone plateaus in Orange Theory after four to six weeks. Every every single group exercise class, again, good to improve your heart health in some of these areas, but everybody plateaus in four to six weeks for that exact reason. It's hard to plateau with bodybuilding style workouts because hypertrophy training in general, the concept of progressive overload doesn't mean that you have to keep adding weight to the exercise. You can start to slow down your tempo. You can start to change your positioning. You can start to use slower eccentrics. You can start to drop set, superset, cluster set. There's a thousand different ways to make that training more intense, make the body have to get more and better stimulus. And then the body can keep adapting in a positive way versus a negative adaptation of I'm doing all this shit, but nothing's actually happening. 
I'm just getting better at exercise, which I don't think anybody walks into any gym wanting that as a result. No, man, we want to look good naked. That's what we're here for. <laughs> That's it. Like I, I could care less. Like I used to love being able to walk into a gym and be the strongest guy in there. I used to love it. it. Like it was the only thing that I cared about. I used to love putting, you know, five plates on each side of the squat rack and making it look easy. I could give a shit less. I put one plate on the bar now and I do slow, painful 20 rep sets of squats. And people are like, you look amazing, but you don't look like you're training that heavy. I'm like, I don't have to train heavy anymore. Because tension and hypertrophy training doesn't mean you're always going heavier. It means manipulate the variables you know how to manipulate. That doesn't mean that I won't ever increase load or get a little bit more aggressive about stuff. But like, I know that why would I use a heavy back squat when a heavy back squat is just going to make me increase my risk of orthopedic injury, as opposed to I can go into a V squat machine and put seven plates on each side, be stable, and now do that set of 10 to the point where I can't even get the last rep up. And all I got to do is just drop it and just walk out of it versus having to spill weight off my back. Exactly. Or, you know, what you see in every other gym is like, let's let's fuck up some intro appeal. To, let's, let's mess up my discs right now. Let's have some fun right here, right? Or everyone is just trying to throw the weight up because they've set the racks way too high. I, I'm totally with you, man. Like, and I've, I've definitely noticed even at 34 now, like even with my performance background, so much of my training has shifted a lot more to bodybuilding style work. I rarely squat. I can maintain the ability to squat. I have yeah. the mo mobility to squat. I can still hop onto a bar and do it well. If I'm talking my lower body training right now, like vast majority of what I'm doing is going to be a belt squat or a hack squat and Perfect. more leg press and more single leg work simply because my body feels better and I can actually dial in while taking my ego out of it a little bit to really focus on the contraction quality of the muscle itself, which is what's driving so much of a hypertrophy benefit and getting that growth. And if we tie that back to fat loss, one thing that I noticed with so many of my clients is I have a, a form check for every single person that comes through with some basic movement patterns. Almost everybody has no focus on the eccentric tempo of their lift, right? And I can really tell with CrossFitters because it's just down, up, down, up, and it, because they're doing it for time. And instead of trying to get as many reps in, try to make each rep count more by slowing down that tempo, owning every inch of every rep. What I notice with my clients from an injury perspective, injuries go way down. They start to reinforce stability in different joint positions. Like think of a split squat. If you go down and you hold that position and you're not just bouncing, you're not hitting your knee off the ground for God's sake, which I see so often, with people like you're re you're building a ton of single leg stability strengthening the lateral subsystem and training around imbalances that are ripe throughout the entire body and oh when you're putting that much more time under tension you're getting a lot more juice out of a lighter weight because you're still creating tension and you're increasing the metabolic stress which in tune is going to help the overall insulin response directly in the muscle, be able to store more glycogen in it, make it more resilient to having your cake and eating it too on a Friday night and helping you stay lean, right? And so it's like the training aspect really ties in to these changes that people are looking to make when it comes to their physiology and being able to be smarter and align that training with what the actual goal is that you want to do becomes so important and having the maturity to understand that maybe what got you to where you are right now isn't going to take you where you want to go in the future. You know what I mean? Great. Great point. A to B, B to C, C to D are all different routes and different processes. They're going to have elements of each thing and there needs to be an underlying base that's really solid. I think the challenge that we face as coaches, Eric, is that people want these things fast. Right, so let's take let's take yeah. that Mrs. Jones, forty-eight-year-old client who has had a history of group fitness, but has never really been proficient or has has any lifting acumen. 
She doesn't know mind muscle connection. She doesn't understand that a lat pull down is going to work her lats and she doesn't know where her lats are supposed to be felt. So there's a very uncomfortable learning curve because she's used to being told what to do in a controlled environment with a lot of guidance. And then they go online and they come with us and now they're relying on form checks and a new program and have to walk into a gym by themselves and not know where things are. And it's overwhelming and admittedly so, and I understand. But if people can get themselves past that discomfort of being able to do something new, learn something that's uncomfortable for them because they've never been in that environment, the freedom on the other end of that, and I have a great example of a woman who's in her mid fifties who came to me about a year ago now, and she was hypothyroid. She was diagnosed with all sorts of the typical female bullshit. And I looked at her and I'm like, of course you have hypothyroid. You're fucking doing seven group fitness classes a week. You're eating 800 to a thousand calories of mostly carbs and fats. You don't really train any muscle specifically. You just look like somebody who just works out. Like I just work out, yeah. but I have no semblance of a body that looks like it. We immediately changed all of her stuff to hypertrophy training, which was sucked. I mean, it was it took her three months to really to shed the reliance on her trainer, to go into a gym, to have me send her videos on how form should look, and then have her submit videos back to me to get form checked. You got to see her now, man. She's down. She didn't have a ton of weight to lose. I mean, she's 127 pounds, but she's lean and she's it's the remodeling the tissue. It's that recomposition effect. Yeah, I mean, no hypothyroid issues. All blood labs are great. She's eating 1,700 calories of a ton of food. She's 115 pounds, and she looks like somebody who trains. Like she gets comments yeah. from other women all the time, like, "How do I get those shoulders? How do I get those arms?" You have to build muscle underneath that skin. Like you can't just walk into like a Pilates class or a yoga class and expect those things to build tissue. They're great modalities, like you said, in a vacuum to do the thing that they're specifically made to do. But to build the overall physique, I'm so dogmatically pro controlling nutrition, controlling stress, recovering, and then training in a hypertrophy style training modality that it's very hard for anybody to convince me otherwise at this point. I know that that sucks, but it's, it is the way it is for me. Yeah. Well, you know, I definitely see a lot of the validity to that point, right? And I think there's, there's so many people now that are simultaneously a little bit over fat but under muscled and building the muscle can become the key long-term to keeping that fat off. Right. And so there's such a fear for people to potentially gain more weight or not lose weight fast enough. So much of it comes from just looking at the number on a scale as well. And I constantly, you know, with, with the clients that I have, I'm like, listen, the scale is only one very small piece of the puzzle. Right. And it's like, if we're noticing that your waist measurements are going down, it doesn't matter what the scale says. You're losing body fat. In fact, you're probably doing everything correct. You're having a recomposition right now. You might want to see that number go down a little bit. It's wild, right? If I had clients do blood work and do different tests and it's like, yeah, you might've thought that you were only losing body fat, but, or that you weren't losing any weight. But the fact is you lost, you know, eight pounds of fat, you gained seven pounds of muscle and your basal metabolic rate went up like 80 calories a day, which doesn't sound like a lot, but over the course of a year, that's five, six pounds of body fat. Right. And yeah. it's like, like all these things make such a big difference. I wish more people started to understand the value. And I think who does a really nice job of this, especially in the female population, is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Yes. Because she's always talking about protein and muscle mass. And it's just, it's such an important thing to have a doctor, to have a physician who's talking about this stuff. Because not that I want to shit on the Western medical system, but let's be honest. Most of our doctors aren't lifting. Most of our doctors aren't engaged in any type of strength training or nutritional regimens. Like half of them are smokers. The other half are drinkers. The other half don't sleep. Like The medical community is not the beacon of good information. When it comes to specifically body comp improvement, they may be able to deploy certain 
pharmaceuticals to be able to get certain symptoms away, or they may be able to be, be able to cancel you and be able to show you the way on, on some more acute and, and deeper issues. But they are not the authority at fat loss and muscle gain. They are just not doing that unless they've been trained to do so, which many of them haven't. So even the information, like I know so many women that walk into their doctor's office and they get their BMI checked and they immediately get like yelled at. And it's like, well, your BMI is too high. You need to get this down. You need to get this down. Your ALT is too high. Your bun is too high. It's like, well, yeah, I fucking lift weights every day. Of course, my liver's a little off. Exactly. <laughs> and like, and then there's, and they're being scared into these unreasonable places of like, well, you have to immediately drop calories. You have to immediately start upping all your cardio to 45 minutes a day. And it's like, I'm taking 15,000 steps a day. I'm relatively lean already. Like, what are you talking about? I have muscle mass on me that you're not even accounting for. So I think we're like a nation being over fat and being under muscle. But then I understand that there's also this period of time to when you start lifting before you start actually seeing the changes in the mirror, which is that I think the shittiest part, especially for women, yeah. because they're growing tissue underneath but they haven't quite gotten that fat mass down to see it. So they're in this limbo of discomfort where they're like, well, fuck, is this actually really working? And that's when you have to lean into performance metrics, circumference measurements, biofeedback, and all that stuff that you and I are very good at being able to actually emphasize versus, well, the scale didn't go down this week. Well, why the fuck would it? Your net same fat, your net up muscle, you might actually get heavy. And that's where it's so tough. And it comes back to the coaches and influencer type thing where it's, you can hop on any... I could have anybody come in for 30 days and I could rip off 12 pounds. Like, yeah, you're just not going to eat and you're going to walk 20,000 steps a day. and It's going to be miserable. But the problem is like the more aggressive an approach specifically for fat loss, bigger the consequences are going to be in terms of health and metabolic function. So it's like, listen, we can, we can pull a Trump card and we can play it. But once you played it, like there's nowhere to go. The only way to go is bring your calories back up. And that's what a lot of people end up having to do. So we might as well, like, listen, we can focus on some fat loss, but we're going to need to increase calories gradually at some point to really get your body to where you want it to be. It's just non-negotiable. And they don't have to be sky high. I think like I used to be very dogmatically pro reverse dieting, which I wish I can go back and like recoach some of the people I coached four years ago because I, I did not do a good job um, because I was always because the way that the textbook had made it seem was like the reverse dieting was like this holy grail of like getting people out of these messes. But in reality, we really have more of a compliance problem than we do have like an eating too little problem. Like not many people are really eating too little. Like I'll get some food logs where I'll be like, okay, cool. They're averaging about 1100 calories. That's definitely not enough. But then when they actually start quantifying things regularly, then you start seeing numbers pop up to like 1500 and 1800. And so if you're maintaining, let's say you're an average 150, 160 pound woman and you truly are eating 50 or 1600 calories to maintain that 150 or 60 pounds you don't have the caloric flexibility to have blowout weekends because two meals out at 2200 or 2300 calories is going to raise your weekly average by four or five hundred that's very much a surplus now and that surplus is the reason why you're upset you're not in a deficit. You're not even at maintenance anymore because you've decided to have whatever the fuck those two meals as opposed to controlling even some of the dining out that you do. And this is why so many people are frustrated. Like, I can have a 5,000 calorie meal yeah. once a week and it's not going to do shit to me because I know that I'll be able to go use that on a leg day and be absolutely fine. I might be bloated or distended or have a little bit of water weight the next day. My metabolism is a little bit more flexible because I've given it the reason to be flexible. Whereas most people are usually losing fat and muscle and then when they regain they're not regaining muscle they're regaining fat so they're every time they're attempting fat loss they're net down muscle and net up fat with yep. each subsequent attempt and that's 
where the degradation of metabolic function comes. That's where the degradation of hormonal function comes. That's where emotional frustration becomes really a problem. And it's sad. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I agree in terms of the reverse dieting aspect, right? Like there are a few clients that I still do some aspects with, but compared to, it used to be such a popular topic. It really was, right? It was like the way that people talk about every aspect of hormones now, All right, It was just kind of another cycle of a thing. So it's like, it's not always a solution. Right. And you got to be really careful with the way that you apply that stuff. And ultimately, to build more metabolic flexibility, you just have to build more muscle. And that's why you have that buffer. That's why you look at the person who you're like, how the hell can they eat that and stay in that type of position? Because they've built that flexibility directly via their training and their nutrition. This comes down to, to something else I saw you post a while back. And this was a, this was a good one, right? And like calories in the number on a scale should not be like golf. It's not always better to see the lowest possible number. There are health considerations as well as quality of life considerations. Eating as little as possible sets you up really nicely to overeat. And being smaller and smaller is a great way to make sure you lose your strength and muscle building potential. I love this. The goal of fat loss is not to eat as few calories as possible. I believe the focus of fat loss should be to be able to eat as much as possible while still eliciting the changes that you want in your body. And the, the results should not be just the number on the scale, right? It's like the way that the reflection looks in the mirror. That's the tough part is people are conditioned naturally to believe that more is better with exercise and less is better with food because that's the advice that they're getting from everybody in the mainstream. It's telling them it's always this arbitrary five to 800 calories that just go to that and just be on that indefinitely forever. But like then there's no support. Like the beauty of coaching is that you have support. Like we can deploy really uncomfortable shit, but we'll be able to hold your hand throughout the entire process of discomfort. Versus if you go to a person who's just deploying a diet to you because that's their advice, where are they in week six when you're fucking miserable and it's Friday night and you want to go out with your husband and they're nowhere to be found? And you're like, well, how the hell do I eat 800 calories when I'm about to go to Cheesecake Factory? So do I just get the... Do I just get the platter of ice chips and water and that's all I'm going to be able to have? As coaches, our responsibility is to be able to walk people through some of these phases that are very uncomfortable and tell them that there's a light at the end of the tunnel because there is an exit strategy. So you can eat. Like, I mean, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with 800 calories. If a person is relatively small anyway and they just want to lose fat, sure, 800 calories might be the number for them to be in a deficit. But again, how long can they emotionally sustain that deficit for before they just become so ravenously food-focused that they're just going to eat anything and everything? Thing at that point and they'll break and then now instead of slowly gradually exiting out of the diet they just go right back into this high level of calories when their body's not even sensitive enough to those calories and then everything just starts to pack right back on ton of fat gain yep and that's a huge issue these massive binge sessions after a crash dieting session and it's um you know your body doesn't just your body doesn't really just get rid of fat cells they shrink down when those things shrink shrink down like they are ready to get filled back up especially if you jack, jack the calories way back up you know, with one of these sessions. So it's such an important context to be able to understand. I think you've done a great job of applying more context between a lot of the things that happen in regards to fat loss and the way that it's positioned. One thing that, that you highlighted earlier on is, again, this difference between like coaches and then you see like the, the influencer crowd. And it's not that coaches cannot be influential. It's not, that, sure. it's not that influencers always have terrible information. But if you're looking at a profile, what are the things that set off red flags for you that are like, hey, this might be bullshit. This might not where you want to be getting your best advice from. What are the things that stand out to you? So I'm very careful about the way that I curate what I look at on Instagram. Like I don't use Instagram as an entertainment platform. I really use it as a connection platform to my coaching community and then also obviously to help my audience. So when I look at other people's accounts, what I'm looking for is are you, are you giving me some type of actionable information? Now, sometimes it can be shrouded 
because there are tactics, obviously, for marketing, and I get it. For sure. You know, like, they have to play the game a little bit because we're all fighting for the same views. But, like, a lot of times you'll see, like, people post, like, shirtless pictures or butt pictures or whatever else. And sometimes if you actually read the caption, they're saying something point. But the problem is, to me, the way that my brain thinks is when I see that butt picture, that ab picture, I'm, you've already dis I've already discredited you discredited you as somebody who's going to help. So I just, I immediately don't want to connect with that person because they're not overtly giving me help. So if you're a lay person, you're consuming content, my advice to you would be follow people who are just consistently delivering valuable, actionable, very practical steps. Like, like this is the way that you do it. Like you'll be shirtless, but you're going to have a ton of words on there. I was going to have to say, bro, I'm like, come on. Like, well, no, but you're, but you're putting stuff, you're putting valuable information in bulleted points where they don't have to go into the caption because most people don't have the attention span to read the shit that we write. Like you can barely fucking look at a post for five seconds, let yeah. alone open it up and like dive into the, the nitty gritty of what you're trying to say. Like you have to be able to deliver that information in a very quick manner. So if you're doing it under the guise of come to my page because I'm attractive and, I, and this is what you want to look like, to me, that's already selling you a dream that's not true versus the way you do it, which is, yeah, this is what you can achieve, but this is how you do it. And this is what the steps would be. And this is what I actually practice with my clients. That to me is helpful content versus here's the supplement line that I'm branding. Here's the clothing line that I represent. Here's me in the gym for the 85th time doing a deadlift shirtless with my ass out or bending over the front of the fridge with my hamstring tie-ins looking good. Like none of that shit is helpful to the 48-year-old woman who's fat who's miserable. Yeah. You have to give that person actionable steps. So, but that's also the responsibility of the consumer. We can't blame the fitness industry for being sensational because the problem is, is if other people didn't consume that shit, then that shit wouldn't be around. But people are looking for that dopamine hit. They're looking for that dream. And they want to find that sexy thing. Because unfortunately, skin is sexy and sex sells. It is. So, yeah. so when you see these people doing it in that way, they may have decent intentions. But they, in my opinion, it's just not how I would present it. Because for me, my Instagram account used to be a fucking thirst trap all day long. Like I would literally, like when I was single, early 30s, I was laying on the ground sweaty with my abs out. And oh, this workout was so hard. But zero context of what I did. Yeah. It was just to get it attention now I don't, you don't even see my face half the time like if i do a video it's literally me explaining something me providing some level of food for thought or me providing some type of you know idea to you and that's all it is it's in servitude to the audience so i think the audience needs to understand that if you're looking for sensational and fun that's exactly what you're going to get if you're looking for applicable and, and real it might be a little dry and boring and that's okay most effective training to an extent, so is most effective nutritional protocols are going to help you get where you want to get. And so you've yeah. got to be able to embrace some of the boring, some of the bland, some of the things that aren't going to give you as big of a dopamine hit as those wonderful, you know, hamstring tie-ins or glistening abs that might grab your attention. And when you start to look and apply and, and read some of the captions that apply a little bit more context to the posts that may be above, it can really help lend some wisdom to the knowledge you're collecting on the surface. And that itself is what can really be a transformative experience. Man, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast and then of course making time again in your busy schedule right now. Where can we find out more about you? Where can we learn from you? Um, any events coming up? Lay it on us. Uh, so most of my craziness is on four weeks to the beach. So uh, at the number four weeks, the number two, the beach on Instagram. So that's where I will answer all my DMs. If you have questions for me, I'll, I'll be able to refer you to other professionals if I can't answer your question. And then the event that I host is called the Real Coaches Summit, but it's not just for coaches. So it is for lay people as well. That's going to be happening in March uh, in Vegas, the 11th and the 12th. The pre-sale for that event ends on September 2nd. Um, and that really is a 
really unique event. Um, I, I hope that you get yourself over to it. Uh, you are going to be on that stage in the next couple of years. I already had the lineup. Uh, you're, you know, you're going to be a replacement to Jason Brown. So Jason's coming this year. You'll be on stage next year because I'm never going to have the same people back year after year because I feel like that's a disservice to the community. Like I want to keep highlighting coaches that other people have not highlighted yet. I appreciate you. It's tactical. It's really much more nutrition training based versus business based. So it really is much more tactical because I think the problem right now that we're facing is a lot of these business, a lot of these coaching events turn into like sales conferences and they turn into really like the business of fitness versus the application of principles to the end user. So what I'm trying to do is bring it back to the educational side because I think there's not a lot of good tactical coaches left. There's a lot of really good business coaches and a lot of people are selling a ton of coaching and a lot making a lot of money, but then they're really not getting a lot of results because they, they don't understand how to deploy some of these deeper principles that you and I know. That's exactly it. So this is really an, a, an event to source education, and it's also collaborative. So like for 548 bucks, you get every one of your meals catered. It's breakfast, lunch, and dinner both days. You get six hours of open bar happy hour. None of the people on stage are being paid, so they're just coming and they're hanging out. They're going to be with you in the crowd. They're going to be with you at the tables eating. They're going to be at happy hour with you having cocktails. So it's just it's just a lot. There's no barrier to like VIP tickets and this and that. So you have to be in the room to like pay for these for the appearances. It's just chill. It's just bringing it back to the grassroots of like why the fuck we started in this business, which was to help people. That's exactly it, man. You got to be able to get people results first before you should sell it. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, Eric. Hey, it's Eric here again. Now, there are three ways that I can help you look great naked. Number one, if you want to grab a free copy of the Look Great Naked Protocol to help you lose body fat without counting calories, then go to bachperformance.com backslash free training. Number two, if you're a busy guy looking to build muscle, then I recommend checking out our Minimalist Muscle Blitz, which has helped over 1,000 men build muscle without living in the gym. Just go to minimalistmuscleblitz.com. The link will also be available in the show notes. Or number three, and last, if you want to work with me directly and get the best results possible, apply at bachperformance.com backslash coaching to look great naked without living in the gym. Until next time, my friend.